Illuminate. Good morning, Illuminate. So good to be with you as always. So this morning, we're going to dive right into it. If it's okay with you, we're in Genesis chapter 20. If you're new, we've been opening up our Bibles over the last several months and examining this ancient text and realizing how relevant it is to modern times. And so here's where we're at so far in the story. We've been looking at the life of a man named Abraham. And this week, we see him slipping back into his old ways. And we're reminded that faith is a journey from immaturity to maturity. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And in God's goodness, his grace and his mercy, he's very, very gentle with us. He understands what we are like and our tendency to want to fall back into the same patterns, the same thought processes that we know aren't healthy for us. And again, we see this in the life of Abraham uh, today. Th this reminds me of a line in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, and it's just brutally honest and super humble. Let me share it with you. It comes from Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions without answering out loud, how many of you can relate, <laughs> right? It's like how many times you do something, you're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why am I thinking this way? He says, I don't understand my own actions because I do not do what I want to do, but instead I do the very thing, and this is some strong language, I do the very thing that I hate. Now let's pause and remember who it is that's writing. The apostle Paul had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He went on to become an epic church planter. All the rest of us church planters, we bow down to Paul. The guy was incredibly productive, very successful in the church planting business. And then he suffers one heartache after another, persecuted for his faith, imprisoned, not once, but a few times. He gives us much of the New Testament and yet he makes this statement some 20 years after he becomes a Christian. Why do I do the things that I hate? So often we have really good intentions, but what we lack is follow through. So last year I went vegan for 24 hours. <laughs> Are you proud of me? At the end of that time, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, I'm pale. This isn't good. The intention, right, as you get older, you need to start thinking about, you know, maybe I'll eat a few more salads, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to downsize my plate, right? So last week, I told Jill, I'm going to start, I'm going to go keto. So I went keto for 12 hours. Not even 24, I didn't even make it 24. I went 12 hours on keto and I felt sick. But I was proud of myself for trying. So I went to In-N-Out and got a double-double animal style. I did, and I felt great, I felt great. I mean, that's the diet for me. So 
right? But isn't that how it goes? We have really good intentions. But there's this inner struggle that keeps pulling us back. And we end up making decisions that we know are not in our best interest. And very often, not only do they hurt us, but they hurt those around us. Time and time and time again. So, what's the answer? Where do we find help? Well, in Romans chapter 7, Paul spends a great deal of time talking about the grace of God. And you say, how is the grace of God the answer to our old problems? Well, in this way, if you first understand that grace is distinctly Christian, because grace essentially is God's unmerited favor, meaning you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but God gives it freely. There's this wonderful verse Paul gives us. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God didn't say, I'm gonna wait for you to get your junk together and then I'll make the sacrifice of my son. No, it's, you've, you're a mess right now, <laughs> right? And so I'm gonna do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm gonna be the one who initiates it. And by the way, this is the greatest evidence, the greatest proof I could give you that I am for you, that I am with you, that I care about you. It's also proof that you need rescuing. And so while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. And when you really begin to understand that, that's the thing that begins to melt the human heart. And that's what transforms even the most stubborn human hearts. So this is Romans chapter 7, verse 25. He says, who will set me free from the body of this death? Paul asked, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then in chapter 8, Paul talks about the power of God's spirit in the life of a Christian. Christians talk about the Trinity, the three members of the Trinity, the Godhead, if you will, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's kind of the mysterious agent, right? But the Holy Spirit provides the believer with the power to overcome those bad habits. And so what happens is the Bible says we can quench the Spirit by continuously giving in to the flesh. And what happens is that it's like, it's like the flesh wants to slip into the driver's seat and take the wheel and begin steering you away from God. And so over the course of time, you find yourself in a completely different place. And you may maybe even be here this morning. You're like, well, at one time I felt like I was close to God, but now I'm in, I'm, I'm in a different place. Well, that's because the desires of the flesh begin to take control, lead you far away from God. The answer is God's grace in our lives. Abraham, it's always been two steps up and one step back. At this point in the story, we've seen some great successes. And that's why, you know, you got to love the Bible because it's, it portrays its heroes as they really are, you know, in their humanity. It's like tremendous successes and then at the same time, horrible failures. That's what makes them so relatable. So we've seen some successes. God calls Abraham and they don't have much of a relationship at all. And God says, you're going to be my guy. Trust me. And as you trust me, you'll get to know me. But you got to trust. You got to lean back on me now. I'm there. I'll catch you. But you got to do some leaning. So 
Abraham leans back and he leaves all that he's ever known. And God says, just follow me. I'm not going to tell you exactly where we're going to go because that's part of the trust building exercise, but just, just follow me. So he does that. That's a success. And then as he's traveling around, he builds these altars and he's worshiping God. That's success. And then his nephew Lot gets into trouble. And so he acts in faith and he rescues Lot. That's success. And then God meets with him personally, visits him. Success. And then God gives him a new name that will fit his destiny. It's great. And then in an instant, we see the old life creep back in. At this point, God has reiterated the promises saying you're going to have a son. And through this son, the blessings will come. A year from now, God says, I'm going to come visit you. You know, the very next scene in his life, it's as if Abraham goes, yeah, but I have this problem, God. And I just think I need to take things into my own hands. Maybe I just need to help you along in the process. While his wife is pregnant, Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, he does a little traveling. From there, his current location, the land of Mamre, which is a very nice land, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And so... And he sojourned in Gerar. I'm going to throw a map up here to show you what's going on. Because I want you to understand when the Bible, the Bible is not mythology. It writes about real people, real times, and real places. And so this is a map of what would be essentially modern day Israel, at least part of it. You can see down to the south, the area of Shur and Kadesh, right? So the text tells us that that's where he's camping out. He's camping out in that area. But then he migrates north to Gerar, right? Right about in the middle of the map. We don't know exactly why he makes this move. The text doesn't tell us, but it actually turns out to be very, very significant because the town of Gerar is filled with a people group called the Philistines. They were a, a group that lived primarily on the coast, but they migrated inland. And these people were warriors. They did not get along with others. And if you know the history of the Philistines and the Israelites, constantly at war. In fact, several years ago, I was in Israel and I was uh, taking a, a, a cab somewhere and I was talking to the driver and in broken English, we were having a conversation and, and I said, so where are you from? And he said, Philistia. I said, Philistia? I said, Phili are you Philistine? He said, yes, I'm Philistine. The same conflict that exists today actually has its roots in the Bible's explanation. Isn't that interesting? People look at the Bible like, oh, it's full of mythology and legend. That's why I can't take it seriously because it has supernatural content. Excuse me. The Bible is more relevant than you know. The Bible speaks to our times in more ways than you know. Problem is people are too closed-minded and intolerant. They're not open-hearted enough to receive what the scriptures actually say. So Abraham travels to the spot. It's, it's, it's this, this city. It's on the outskirts of the promised land. And because he's in enemy territory, things could go really bad for him. And um, he gets a little nervous. We know that at this time he's ultra-wealthy Coming out of Egypt, he was blessed with all kinds of stuff. He's got tons of livestock, and so that might be the reason why he's moving from place to place. He's got to find some fresh land to feed everything, all the cattle and everything that he has, all the livestock. So maybe that's why he makes this migration. But regardless, wherever he lands, he's going to be noticed. And 
That's exactly what happens. So he's in this hostile camp and the king whose name is Abimelech, or that could just be a, a title for him, he notices the stranger. And Abraham becomes afraid in the exact same way that he was afraid 20 years earlier. And he ends up making the same mistake he made then. Watch what happens. Verse two, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took her, took her for himself. Now at this point, it should sound a bit familiar because this is what happened, like I said, 20 years ago in Genesis chapter 12, where he goes to Egypt and he's like, he tells his wife, hey, listen, they're gonna want you. So um, let's just say that we're brother and sister. That way they'll load me down with like dowry and uh, I live, but you become Pharaoh's wife. It's the same thing. Uh, now what's really weird about this is that this is kind of a half truth because as we'll see in a second, Abraham and Sarah actually share the same father, but not the same mother. And you're like, wait a minute, that's weird. Some believe that back in the day at this early date, the bloodlines were more pure. Regardless, it is a lie meant to deceive. And it's one that was practiced years before. They're gonna want you. They're gonna kill me to get you. Now there's a lot going on in this story, right? Because at this point, Sarah is 90 years old and there's something about her that is desirable. Abraham becomes afraid. And as we'll see together, they actually enter into this lie. Now, question, how could this like man of God make the same mistake twice? Here's the answer. For the same reasons you and I do. How can he make the same mistake twice? For the same reasons you and I do. We all have sins that are particularly tempting. They're not all the same. I have some that differ from you. You have some that differ from me. Although I think there are some that we share in common, like the sin of pride, generally running around thinking that we're better than everybody else, right? It's not that you're, you're unintelligent, it's just that I'm a little bit smarter than you. It's like that book, The Day That Americans Told the Truth. Funny little anecdote in there. It's like over 80% of all Americans think they're better looking than average. No, it's not that you're ugly, I'm, I'm just a little bit better looking than you. And isn't this human nature? Isn't this what we tell ourselves? And, and here's this, this man of God making the same mistakes over and over. And uh, I guess it proves, proves the, the truth, whatever you desire more than God, you will pursue. We all share the same temptations in general, anger, pride, maybe some sexual temptations, but we all have unique ones as well. So for Abraham, it was the sin of fearing for his life. It was probably some control issues there as well. But now, now imagine, imagine being Abraham on that first night. <laughs> See, sometimes we make decisions that we know are wrong and we know they're just 
jacked up. And then it's like we're tormented mentally because of those decisions. And it's like we lose sleep, we can't eat. Physiologically, our bodies even start to change. It's like our bodies begin to tell the story. He's sleeping alone and his wife is in the king's palace. There was a man named David who became king over Israel, perhaps Israel's greatest king. And uh, at one point, he gets confronted over his sins. He was a murderer and an adulterer. And after he gets confronted, he begins to pour his heart out. But you know, along the way, he's really honest about what he went through internally. He writes about it, Psalm chapter 32. He says, for when I kept silent, that is when I kept silent about what I did wrong, when I didn't confess it, when I didn't seek help, he said, my bones wasted away. In other words, he's like, I could feel it physically. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, we know a little something about the summer heat, don't we? Not to depress everybody, but in two weeks, it's supposed to be about 110 degrees in the valley of the sun. And there are certain plants, if they don't get watered every single day, they start to stress. It's kind of like the, the daily stress of perpetuating a lie. Now I gotta keep this thing going. So I gotta, I gotta spin it again. And now I gotta cover that up. And now I need to, and it's like, this is getting exhausting and this is like mentally draining. Or, or it's, it's the stress of keeping a, a secretive relationship secret. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's not gonna allow Abraham's failures to stop him, that is God, from doing what he wants, what God wants. So God intervenes, verse three. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you're dead. You're you're a dead man. Because of the woman whom you have taken, she's a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he, Abraham, not himself say to me, she's my sister? And then she was in on it too. She herself said, he's my brother. He says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech gets a nightmare from God and basically says, it's over for you because you've taken another man's wife. And Abimelech's response is like, time out. (laughs) Time out. I didn't know. This is the first time the word integrity is mentioned in the Bible. What is integrity? It's congruency between what you say and what you do. He's like, I had no idea. I had no idea. Please, please, please. You're not going to kill me because I acted in, without knowledge. Um, well, in fact, both Sarah and Abraham were in on it. Uh, and by the way, and I think we said this a few months ago, a wife should never allow her husband to lead her into a compromised situation. Obviously, a husband should never lead his wife there, but together, they're actually in on it. So, 
Here's what Abimelech is told to do. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. I know you didn't know. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Why is that interesting against me? Why did you say that? Because God had made a promise. And here's how this is going to go down. It's going to be Abraham and Sarah and their offspring, Isaac. I told them they were going to have a son last year, and I'm going to visit them in another year. And what Abraham should have thought was, I'm invincible because God said he was going to do this. So I'm just going to go into the situation trusting in God. She's my wife. Don't mess with her because God made us a promise. Instead, he said, she's, she's my sister. Don't kill me. God says, this is actually a sin against me. This is my plan for them. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So by God's doing, Abimelech hasn't even touched there. Now then, return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech is genuinely terrified by this. Verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Abraham, we need to talk. What have you done to us? And now I have sinned against you. How have I? That you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me the things that I not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? In other words, he's genuinely sideways on this thing. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We need to talk about this. What did, you, what did I do to you? What did you see in me that I did to you for you to bring this on me? And uh, this is the second time that Abraham gets reprimanded by a secular king. But let's talk about Abraham being a prophet. God says, your only hope, Abimelech, is that Abraham prays for you. So this is kind of a crazy story because Abraham gets himself into this horrible mess and yet God says, I'm still with you. I'm gonna work through your mistakes your sins, your shortcomings, and your failures. And see, what happens is it's, it's as if Abraham tries to throw up this detour and God's like, no, 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 no. We're just gonna reroute the road right back to where I want it to be. And it's quite beautiful because it's a vivid reminder that God doesn't abandon us in those moments that we abandon him. Why? This is important for you to hear because God is far more gracious than you know. He's far more loving than you realize. He is for you. I like what Oswald Chambers says, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance upon them. So I'll give you an example of what he's talking about. God can accomplish his purposes with a lack of resources, there's this moment where Jesus is teaching lots of people and they start to get hungry. And the disciples say, hey, let's let them go in the town. They can get something to eat and come back. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're gonna provide lunch for everybody. And the disciples are like, um, how are we gonna pay for this? Where are we gonna go to get the food? We have a lack of resources. And Jesus says, hey, bring that kid over here with his little lunch. He's got a couple biscuits. He's got a few fish. That's perfect. Because... A lack of resources from a human perspective when put in God's hands become unlimited. Let me say that again. From a human perspective, a lack of resources, it seems limited. But when you put them in God's hands, they become unlimited. So not only is everybody fed, but what ends up happening is they end up gathering so much food, it's like they could feed everybody again. 
Abraham should have thought, God promised me he'll come through, he'll deliver. But you know, for 20 years, 20 years, he continued to doubt God. So what does Abraham have to say for himself? Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they're gonna kill me because of my wife. They're gonna kill me to get to her. Besides, she is indeed my sister. So it's not like I was totally lying. This is called justification. She's the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. Oh, and by the way, God might be to blame. This is some Garden of Eden language here too. God might be to blame too, right? Because it's like when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this could go very bad for us. So here's what we're gonna do. Everywhere we go, let's tell this lie together. How's that sound, honey? Let's just tell them you're my sister and I'm your brother. And they're committed to this lame excuse. I did it because I thought. No mention of what God might think. Man, that's a guilty one for me. The text literally says, I did it because I thought. That one stabs me with conviction. He doesn't say, let me tell you, I did what I did because I thought of God. And I know what he's capable of. So what happens as a result? Well, of course, there's discord between Sarah and Abraham. But you know, anytime we fear man more than we fear God, we end up ruining our witness. Let me repeat that. Anytime we fear man more than God, we end up ruining our Christian witness. And it actually takes a secular king to bring God's uh, correction in Abraham's life. He says, I'm the one with integrity here, not you. Well, uh, all is not lost. God's grace shows up in the most unexpected ways. Does Abraham deserve what happens next? No. But God is just that good. Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Go wherever you want. To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Notice how he says it's your brother. He's, that's how he thinks. That's his justification. A thousand pieces of, a thousand pieces of silver. Why, why so many? Why this number? Well, back in the day, the highest bride price that could be paid was 50 pieces of silver. So essentially what Abimelech does is, I'm gonna give you 20 times the highest bride price possible. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife. And look at this and the female servants so that they bore children. Why? Because the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So this is really interesting. Even though Abraham has a lack of faith, God still flexes. He still flexes through it. He's like, hey, you know what? It's not so much about the man, it's about the God behind the man. And even though he's faltering in his faith, God says, I will not. Let me show you who I am. This man is my prophet. And he's the one that's gonna spare your life. I'm still with him. I still have his back, even though I keep having to rescue him time and time again. I hope that message really sinks into your heart this morning. Because there are so many of us that feel like 
we have to perform to earn God's grace or God's love, that's not, that, that defeats the definition of grace. But when you understand grace, like I said earlier, that's the softening agent that motivates you to want to serve God. It's so common for us to think, God loves me, maybe just a little bit more if I perform. This chapter tells us that God loves us in spite of our mistakes. So maybe this morning, this is God's way of saying, what do you believe about me? Now let me ask you, what do you believe about God? What are those areas where you're saying, hey God, yeah, I'm there, but not quite. I've still got a few things that I need to involve myself in. I need to help you along in the process. We all have them. At what point in your thinking are you saying, you know, I thought, and God is saying, how about my thought for you? How about my thought for you? I began by saying that faith is a journey from immaturity to maturity. And God places these things in our lives so that we would lean back on him. And the more we do that, the more we come to understand that God is trustworthy. You'll never know that if you don't start trusting. And the more you trust him, even the more challenging things, the more you see his faithfulness in it. And it does take time. So for every person in this room, there's something in your life that you're probably not trusting God for. And it probably has something to do with some relationship. What is it? What is God saying to you? It's such a difference between being open-handed with your life and placing your life in God's hands and saying, yeah, but I think, what does God think? So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I have no doubt that the Spirit of God wants to speak to every person in the room. Prayers that our hearts would be changed, right? God seeks to develop our hearts through our own failures when they're met with his grace. That is such a beautiful thing. Father, there's no doubt that you are You're making your desires for us known. And you're always after what's in our best interest. So Lord, will you forgive us? Will you forgive me? When I try to take over that space and decide for myself what is in my best interest and I begin to think thoughts that are untrue of you, I put myself on the throne. Father, you're the one that gives every single victory because you have the power. We thank you for the life of Abraham, and especially as we move forward, we will not see him falter in this way again. In fact, he presses on in maturity to the point where he will be willing to give up the thing that's most precious to him. But God, you lead in all things because you were willing to give up what was most precious to you, your son, for us. So Father, Pray that you would use this time to lead us 
in the direction that you want us to go. Father, will you, even as we leave this place this morning, will you continue to press in on our hearts this issue of trusting in you? In every testimony, there is a test. You end up using that for your glory, for our good, and we end up being a blessing to those around us. And what happens is the name of Jesus is lifted up and he's made known and he's made famous. And God, that's what we want. All for your glory, we pray. And God's people said, amen.